Welcome back to FileMaker Talk. This is Andy Cohen, your guest host for the second episode. I recorded this for Matt and Matt during DevCon 2009. This is an unconference session entitled Six Secrets of a Successful FileMaker Consulting Business. This panel discussion is a live recording in binaural audio, so best heard with earbuds or headphones. Let's get to it right now. See, I believe in a 12 to 14 hour work week. <laughs> There's this book I read that actually really changed my thinking on this stuff called The Four Hour Work Week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, I don't know. I mean, it starts off with if you want to live the life of a millionaire, first get a million dollars. And then he talks about everything sort of after that. <laughs> <laughs> and just leaves that first step, you know. But, but it actually is a really interesting, uh, it's really changed kind of the way I approach my own business, even though, again, I'm a moderator, not a panelist here. So, um, so work hard, play hard. Yeah. Do you do you not actually usually work forty hours? You work less or more sometimes? Or? Uh, so weeks I work more. Weeks I work less. Okay. Um, after this, there's been, I put in a ton of time leading up to DevCon. I'm gonna be taking some time off after you can bet. Um, I'm also I enjoy the competition of business. That's part of what why I do this. It's passionate. It's fun. Um, as far as balancing the three things you mentioned, you said project management, customer service, and development. Right. Did I miss anything? Is there any other really important aspect to running your business? Well, I was just trying to address the three that you mentioned. Um, you know, ultimately, one, I like to work with developers that can, to a high degree, self-manage. Okay, um, which means I that well, we we try to look for some of the best people, right, to work with. Um, so the project management for me usually is just keeping a finger on the pulse. And when I see a bump coming, saying, hey, but communicating with them, but also giving them the freedom to kind of work with the client, build the relationship. Um, customer service is extremely important. I want the client to be happy. Um, I look at it from the standpoint of if the person who is working directly with the client, if they're happy, then the client will be happy, right? Because they're enjoying the work. Um, it's my job to handle the tough stuff. Right. So, Jonathan, how about you? Work-life balance. Yeah, work-life <coughs> balance and specific balance of the different priorities within work. Mm -hmm. um, uh, work-life balance, I, I don't, this is probably going to sound alarming, but I don't really draw a distinction between my personal life and my work-life. Yes, that does sound alarming. I, I'm <laughs> super picky with my customers. I love my customers. And I. it's like I'm hanging out, kind of, you know? It, um, my, my girlfriend would argue and say I'm a workaholic but because I'm on the computer all the time. But uh, I don't know. I mean, I'll, just to throw a number out there, I think probably only 30% of the time I'm like coding, you know. Um, and, and that's fun too, you know. But uh, I, I just love my job. I consider myself very lucky. Uh, the, the, how do you split up the responsibilities of the business? My day is very schizophrenic. Um, you know, try and, try and, you get a, I have a person who handles my finances, which is extremely, I highly recommend. Uh, same thing with legal and all that stuff, all that sort of outsource. But I still have to do, you know, I have to spend at least 10 hours a day on Twitter. I bounce back and forth between a lot of stuff during the day. During the day is in communications mode, uh, whether I'm doing proposals or tweeting about stuff, writing a blog post. Um, if I have anything hardcore, really complicated to program, that will almost always be after midnight. Uh, all the book writing stuff is after midnight. Magazine articles I can sometimes squeeze in in the morning, but usually that's late night too. And then, you know, I wake up at 11 the next day and, you know, whatever it is, it's just, I have zero schedule. 
Zero. So since you're about Twitter, what's your Twitter address? Jonathan Stark. Molly, what's yours?
plugin stuff, all the products that we release. And that's just like, that's not work, that's just charging right back up. You know, I could just do that forever and ever. It's just, it's really good. I try to like, when I feel myself getting to the point where like, I'm trying to sort through my emails, but I keep going to the onion to check what's going on. <laughs> That's when I say, oh, all right. Onions are my final clients. Are they really? Oh, I'm so jealous. Yeah, smart publisher for uh, the print and some of the other stuff, too. They're, uh, they're amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Onion next KCB are my regulars. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, when I get to that point where I find myself just stalling and procrastinating and delaying on doing the crappy stuff, that's when I'll just say, all right, enough of that for today. I'm going to pull out this plug and I've been working on to keep going with it. And then I'm like, full speed. Cool. So, uh, do you use plugins? <laughs> I hate One of my questions was actually, do you use plugins in your solutions for customers? And I thought it would be really funny to ask you since you make them all. We use a few. So obviously, you know, since you've built plugins out but, um, for your customers, out that one was really aimed at you. But I guess the other part of it is what challenges and see what actually from your perspective, um, what are the big challenges for the plugins for your customers? Is it like the, the common stuff, like distribution and yes, versions? Um, and you know, and, and maybe this is a great venue to talk about this. Auto-update is a thing we're really trying to educate people about. Um, and so one of the things that I did when I was kind of going around to a lot of these developer groups in various cities was trying to present auto-update and show how cool it is and how it completely solves plugin distribution problems. I think that's probably the number one barrier to plugins. Um, I think when I first started off doing plugins, I thought it was cost. But I don't think it's cost. I think people just really don't like the idea of going around and installing plugins. Well, that is cost. That's a form of cost. That's true. It's, it's hassle. Right. It's cost. Kind of yeah. cost. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so people really don't like the hassle of installing plugins. Um, and so you know, we're really trying to educate people about auto-update. So the auto-update, basically, when the solution opens, it connects to a server out on the internet that's not inside the building, necessarily. Either way. Either um, way. Automatically update, downloads the plugin, newest version. <clears throat> Uh, activates it and then continues running and the plugins there, even if it's never been installed before? Yes. And, and you've so got that running on all your plugins on your server? Yes. And the, the address for anybody who, who um, uh, I don't even know if we have it somewhere on our website, but we have a server running at autoupdate.360works.com. That's a inside FileMaker, you call that address, right? Yes. Inside FileMaker, open remote, right. host is autoupdate.360works.com. There's a FileMaker file on there called autoupdate360works and it's got complete instructions in it for setting it up. And it's like if you want to auto update a plugin, one script, one line of script to install that plugin, plus one line of script to close our plugin. Can you get that into a half a line? He's <laughs> <laughs> got five and a half people. I'm maybe I'll get half a person. <laughs> so Kirk, how about you? Plugins? Yeah, for me, I don't. I we use plugins and we use them liberally because we feel like ultimately our job is to extend the functionality of this customer. And part of it's about doing it faster. Yeah, sometimes I can get around doing it without a plugin, but I'm faster with a plugin. Right. And quite frankly, most of our customers, the speed of getting it to them is more important than the cost. Now, I'm not saying cost is not important, but if they get it in three weeks instead of four, you know, that, right. that right. is value to them. So, yes, we use plugins. Um, if we have a specific requirement and I know there's a plugin for it, I'm going to mention that right up front with the customer. I'm going to say, look, we're going to use this plug-in, and here's the cost. Right. I just, I love plug-ins. You know, I, I never used to use them because of exactly what Jesse said. It's like, oh, it's too much hassle. I don't have control over the environment. And, you know, especially at Salon, yeah, somebody in the bottle figure it out. So, <laughs> so I, didn't use I, I didn't use plug-ins before, um, but I've since started using them, and that's another example of where I collaborate because I don't necessarily, you know, now I can use the auto-updates, but I don't necessarily know how to extend super container, and so that's when I'll have Jesse do it. 
which is great <laughs> because you'll come in with uh, you know Val spend three hours and install it for me, so I don't have to uh, I don't have to know all the different nuances of it. Right. So, so Jonathan, I, I guess with web stuff, it's probably a little bit different for you. Yeah, I was yeah I was going to say it's almost I didn't NA for me doesn't apply. Well, I, except for maybe some some server plugins for from Microsoft on the back of the PHP. No, uh, I really it doesn't come up that often, but I, I totally agree with Kirk. Point, which is that if you know, especially in a, in a fixed bid type thing, if it's going to take me 20 hours to build something, I just go buy the plugin. Right. Sometimes I'll just, I, I haven't done this, but I would, I haven't had to do this, but I would just pay the license fee for the next 10 years because you know, a week of work right. saving one hour is. I guess this question might apply to any kind of a file maker, right? <coughs> Shameless plug FM search results, for example. <laughs> 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 it took me a few hundred hours to build it, but you can integrate it for an hour. And it would make you look smart and not cost that much money. That's a perfect example. Actually. So that's, I mean, that's kind of why I'm hoping that's why we priced it really low to do that. And plugins are the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. yep. You can get something um, and, and really pick up and solve a never going to run. Yeah, the development cost of your time is never going to come close to that. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And then you get all these extra features that you can kind of grow into if you look at all the functions. Of, I mean, even just uh, Scriptmaster for free, all the stuff that that can do. It's going to sort yeah. That's me. So, oh yeah, by the way. Let's see. Um, I'll have one more comment here on the plugin thing. Um, Jesse's very humble. These guys have written a script to handle the auto update. It's in that file he mentioned. You change what, two or three variables at the top, and it works for almost any plugin. Mm -hmm. If you guys have not seen that script, you need to check it out because he's got all the error checking for auto update. Once I saw that, we dropped what we were using. We started using that for integrating plugins. We're not even worried about auto update. We're just it, it works and we're moving. Cool. So what, what's the other big issue that we haven't talked about for each of you guys? Starting with you, Molly. I don't know. Starting with you, Kirk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <It's a big laughs> issue. Starting with you, Jesse. For us, uh, I think a part of what makes us unique from, from business standpoint are hiring practices. Mm -hmm. um, and what we we generally we, we have done this in one case, but in most cases we do not look for uh, experienced founders. Um, we mostly, you know, we're in Atlanta, we've got Georgia Tech downtown, we've got Georgia State, um, and so we'll look for bright people uh, with a CS degree who are familiar with Java, C++, relational database design. Um, you know, if they've got those skills, they're going to they're gonna be very quickly very good at FileMaker, and they've got that real strong fundamental background, um, and, and we're also not combating uh, ingrained uh, approaches that they may have that are kind of incompatible. Right, with right. Kind of six thinking type stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's been very good for us. And we also make sure that um, when we're hiring somebody, uh, they can communicate clearly, you know, which is, that's hard to find somebody that is a good coder that's also a good communicator. Which is good because I hear you guys really go through people. That was totally a bad joke. Sorry. <laughs> I hope you really don't go through. We're, 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 really no, we're, we're, we're very proud of our very low turnover rate. Good, there you go. I feel so much better. <laughs> so what, what, one thing that did I not mention that we haven't talked about that's important to you guys? I think probably the most important thing, and I'll compliment Jonathan and Molly and Jesse, because I think they all three have articulated this up here, is you've got to define who you are. And, and I would say this in the context of this panel. Don't do it because we said that's the way to do it. Listen to our ideas, and does it fit you? You need to define your practice. You're a consultant. You've got to define who you are. And that's one thing that Molly and I have been working on with me is defining, number one, what are we good at? Number two, what do we enjoy doing? Number three, how are we perceived? And number four, 
how do we tackle number three so that it matches one and two, right? That's the most important thing. So if you do that, you'll make money. <laughs> <laughs> I would even, I totally agree with that. And I take it one step further and say you need to have life goals, you know, and because all of that is just to support your life goals. So, you know, uh, I hear a lot of people talking about, a, a lot of, uh, of finally developing developer companies and, and even web guys and, and all sorts of agencies that want to grow. Well, what does that mean? You know, you want to grow what? It's usually headcount because they think that's going to achieve some goal that I don't think they've ever set for themselves. So, I don't know. I, I think that a lot of people haven't really thought through what their goals are and, uh, and then just sort of go on autopilot for general American success mode. California people like to grow medical marijuana. Where do you come up with this stuff? You know what? Kind of based on what Kirk was saying, like knowing what what your skills are and what your what you can provide is important. But I think the other thing Jonathan and I have talked about is um, what are your red flags? Like, be selective about what clients you take on because a um, if you pick you know what things aren't going to work out. And so I, I, I have a list of things that I'm like, you know what, I'm not going to work well with this client. And I recently, um, you know, I, I took a client against my better, better judgment that I kind of knew was going to be difficult for me, and it was a disaster. And so, and, and, and it was something simple. It was someone who had incredible attention to detail, right, and needed an incredible amount of detail on her graphic design. I'm not good at that. Me and Jesse share that. So, um, so, so know, what, know what you're great at. Uh, know what are red flags from clients so that you you do take the time to say, you know what, I'm not going to take that client. Or if you have a client that it's just not working out, like, our work is hard enough as it is. Like, it shouldn't also be painful to be working with that particular client. And there is, you can see, like, all of us and everybody we talk to, like, everyone's got a kind of different spot, that sweet spot. And so there's, there's plenty of work out there. Um, I think it, it pays to, like, hang on and be selective. So we left quite a bit of time for questions, and I, what I really want to start is I want to start with anybody who heard something that they really disagree with, or something that they really want to question <laughs> what, what we talked about, to sort of bring those things out to the surface. So, um, I, I think one thing that um, everybody should think about is that for a, a, a developer-driven um, estimate, you're only thinking about build, but you've got to do Together, you got to do testing, you got to do the implementation. So really, build is thirty to fifty percent of your estimate. You know, and, and you know, yes, I've been working in the enterprise for, for many years, but you know, technically, I'm a, a, a consultant of a business. You know, so when we estimate, yeah, build is just a small piece. But we've got most implementation support, we got the documentation phase, and what we do is we build an estimate based on hours, but we include a variance that. At the start, maybe 20%. But as we come closer to implementation, we're narrowing it down and we're reporting to the business or the analyst or whatever that, you know what, we've completed so much and we're under budget or we're over budget. And then we adjust that number. Um, so I, I, I see that a lot because my, you know, we have a contractor that comes to do work and all they give us is an hour. Oh, yeah, it'll take me 10, 10 hours. And but that's just their piece. So I've got to do the piece before and the piece after, and you know, I'd make it work. I'd make it never better. Deployment, we always put in our proposals that uh, deployment, configuration, installation, 
documentation, training, all of that is built out of it. We say that in proposals. What I find, especially more and more now, is that people have all these horrible VPNs. Um, and the VPN software is terrible, and it's slow, and it's broken, and they want you to log in remotely and do all this stuff. And you're like, just send me a copy of your files, and I'll do it, and then we'll do like one update. And they don't want to send me a copy of their files. And so that's totally beyond my control. <laughs> totally beyond my control. And so, um, you know, we always make it a point that we're not going to try to estimate how long it's going to take us to deploy the solution, because, you know, I mean, it really depends on how good our access is to the server and what kind of hoops we're going to have to jump through as far as VPNs go. Anybody else got something to start a fight? Well, this is directed towards Shonson, but in an entirely friendly. The notion of value-based billing—it's sort of as a someone comes to your door and they want water. Water is one price, but if they need water, it's another price. And that seems almost antithetical, not almost, that is antithetical, I think, to the role of the consultant, which is often to look out for the interests of the client. So you're almost putting yourself against their interests by billing uh, as much as you think that you can get from them for something. Yeah, I, I get that a Canadian, lot. Canadian, by the way. I see. <laughs> 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 but really successful. I, 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 I get that a lot. That's a response that I get a lot. Like I'm gouging them. Uh, you know, like how much you got? There, you know, how much you got? That's how much it's going to cost. And it's, it's, it would be helpful to go through the numbers to actually see. But when I'm doing a value-based billing project, I'm not gouging them. First of all, because the definition of gouging is that they have no other options. Or at least that's part of part of the definition. Like Starbucks in the lobby at the hotel here. Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> almost twice as much as, as a Starbucks a block away. Yeah. But, but there is one a block away. That's convenient. And there is one difference. That's convenient. That's right. So yet we go to the Starbucks in the lobby because. But there's value to that. You're paying for the value of not having to walk a block. You obviously have there's value there. Your argument, I think. You obviously haven't been to the mini bar yet. This is actually Doug's point is the main thing that I get back. And all, all I can really say is that customers love this. They have, all of them have worked with hourly people and they don't feel like they're getting gouged. And the, the reason why is because my price sometimes is, is ridiculously low compared to what they're going to gain from it. And the reason why that is, is because I've put myself out there in a way to attract big customers. So they come to me, we already kind of trust each other, and it's it, it's just a great deal for both of us. We can really partner. We Imagine never having to track your hours. Imagine never fighting about an invoice. Imagine never dealing with like that final payment because, you know, oh well, you still need to like change the field names over there a little bit and that, that portal line is a little too light blue and we'll send you that last check as soon as you fin you know finish it. That's all gone. The financial part is out of the way. It's in both your best interest to get this done as fast and as good as possible and it's it's real partnership. And that's why I'm so picky about getting customers that so, 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 so when you're doing so, value based billing, do you get all your payment in advance? 100%. 100%. So, Don, with all due respect, yes. I haven't been this fired up since I listened to the podcast. <laughs> 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 no, I, I just wonder, uh, honestly, and I, I just 
as a comparison of perspectives, we're a development shop with four developers. I can't possibly see how that would work in our model. And I'm just curious if there are shops out there with more than a couple people who are doing it. And it's working. Didn't you um, say it's that in progress, how it would work in a yeah. multi-developer environment? Uh, Actually, Ernest, what were you going to yeah. add? Yeah, I got lost there. I'm going to stick up for John a little bit. Okay. I think it's easy to get into this. Into this uh, yeah, you're crazy. You're nuts. Can't hear you. I'm going to speak up for. I'm going to stick up for Jonathan a little bit. No, we don't. We don't do 100% value billing precisely the way you do it. I think you have a few things going for you that make it easy. Yeah. A, you're independent. B, you don't care about costing. You know. And for me, in the position of managing the company, I have to care about costing. The only way you can do costing is you have to track time. Right. But what we do is we disconnect the two. You know, we, we price about price the project out based on value. But the internal mechanics of coming to that number is based on two, two directions. Right? Is what do you think this is worth to the client? And how do we make money doing this? And between that, there's going to be a number that makes sense. Okay. So we'll throw up a number, let's say it's you know, $200,000. Yeah. And if we would charge hourly on that, you need know, 300. If we would charge value on that, it would be 100, whatever the number is. right? But from both directions, you come up with something that is essentially value building. Right? But again, What's different between us and Jonathan is that I have to demonstrate that you know this is making money for the company. You know, at the end of six months, I have to say, well, this project made us money, as opposed to we don't know. You know, it's, it's kind of nice. Yeah. You don't have the problem, right? Yeah, and that's why I I I, I do admit that it's <coughs> two things. I, I don't know how I would make it work with employees, which means that I have to say no to a lot of great leads, which is hard to do. It's it's not comfortable. But, um, uh, crap, what's my other point? You know, it really seems like it would be possible to do if you have, you know, enough reserves so that you could afford to screw well, up. But well, you, I mean, that happens to you anyway. The simple, the simple answer to the question is just raise your prices so that it doesn't matter. But, but when it comes to a situation where you do have to report on it, um, then, yeah, I see the, the complication there. Oh, my other point was that, like I said at the beginning, my whole business was started, predicated on this model. So everything about my daily existence is optimized to make this less risky. I, I was going to actually say that I think your core point, which I think I'm empathetic to, is that you know we can choose to run a business however many ways you want to run a business. You know, I, I'm a firm believer in understanding what you want out of life before doing everything else. So while I don't run it precisely the way you run it, I, I, do, I do think that what you're saying is that on. <coughs> you have to, you know, I'm, I'm married to an attorney, so I see the other side of that, you know, day in, day out. Yeah. And it's tyrannical. You know, what you wind up with, you get a very successful law firm, but you each are sold at the end of the day, because, you know, what is the meaning of time? You know, yeah. what is the meaning of the value of something? something? And, and, and law, firm, law firms and attorneys can do that because it's, there's essentially no competition, right? I mean, I mean you know, the, bar, the bar prevents people from really coming in and questions. the value of our work in a, in a different way, so that it's not just about the metric of the second or minute. I, I fundamentally believe that. But that said, we run our business on the measure of time. You know, because we have to know whether this is going to be a profitable client to, to engage with in the, long, in the long term. We just don't tell them that. <laughs> <laughs> well, can I make a quick point as to also Empathy, empathy for uh, Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is the best Epcon ever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
those are my goals. Empathy for John. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a, a little oversimplification, and you know, certainly not at the scale. But what I found and is, do you want the client mad at the beginning, or do you want them mad at the end? Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. That is right. Because that removes. Because that's those, like you said, the the you know and. I find, I mean, I feel like I would pay any amount of money to get out from under this thing with a pissed off client, excuse me. Um, whereas if I deal with that up front on the value base, again, I've eliminated all these heartaches and it's a life goal, but I, I thought that was a, an oversimplification, but I'm kind of coming around to it because at the end, everybody's happy. And you get the reputation for making that value base number, I would think that gives you a huge competitive edge no matter how much you're gouging them at the beginning, yeah. So yeah, that's why I'm going to take my I think one of the issues that's played here is for, I do agree that it work, would work best for independence, as I am, and I think I want to consider it. And for those that work in a larger company, I agree it would be difficult to do. But one of the problems an independent, an independent has is I can only bill so many hours. I mean, if I'm going to commit the hours for clients, even, you know, let's say I was billing $100 an hour and I work 40 hours a week, well, that means my whole company can only gross two hundred thousand a year, and I've got expenses. So, you know, if you want to make any money and ever take any time off, you've got to come up with something that allows you to bill clients without you feeling guilty about every hour or every day you take off or never getting a vacation. Is what happens to me most of the time. Yeah. How many solo people are in here? Yeah. So, so have you? Has it ever occurred to you that the only way you can ever increase your annual income is by raising your rates? And then you have to deal with, um, or, or working more, which is what you probably do. Or having a product. Or having products. <laughs> yeah, that's actually what I would recommend. Recurring revenue. I would, I would uh, advocate for actually having more than one stream of income. Yeah, yeah I, and I do agree with that. It doesn't necessarily need to be a big thing. I mean, search results is not going to make a lot of money, probably. I, I hope it will, but that's not why I did it. Um, but, but it is actually was intended to be like a separate stream of income, separate from work that I do hourly. And then... Uh, so having a little thing of something that you really put a lot of time into, even if it's just a little small vertical market application for 10 other companies who are kind of like yours that won't require a lot of support, can be a really you know second uh, a source of income. Yeah, it ends up. But speaking of, but but you know hourly is kind of what we're talking about. Right, right, right. So that's I was just saying. You know, I think it's I, I think it's a healthy thing for an hourly consultant company to think that you know the only, if, if the only way is to make more money to raise my rate. There actually is another way, which is to add another source of income. Right. It's not related to hourly. I agree with that, and I would just sort of add, though, that it's two completely different things. It is. And you're, 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 you now have to become a marketing person, Are you, too. you hating on me now? No, no, I, I, I'm totally <laughs> down with the idea, but it's, it's definitely different than hourly. So, you know, but it's something to think of. But just to finish the point, um, it was like, I, I'm never going to, I'm never going to, whatever my goal was, I'm not going to reach it this way unless I just work more, which just didn't seem right. And, and that, that was actually, when I was at Warner Group, I was working 70 or 80 hours a week. And, and, and I did my job and I loved everybody I worked with, but it was burning me out bad. And I wasn't being able to, I wasn't and, developing. And can those of us who are independents have a separate Q&A with you later? <laughs> well, if you go to my website, you can ask me as many questions as you want. I, I, I think yes. the biggest point, regardless if you do hourly-based billing or value-based billing, is managing uh, customer communications and managing the customer satisfaction. If you communicate to them you know, once a week and let them know what you're doing, 
then yeah, that would mitigate any kind of dissatisfaction. But if you disappear for you know three weeks to go, you know, I make sure to contact every. I make sure to contact every. If I have an active project for five customers, they're gonna hear from me every single day, every day. Hey, just based on what Gerald was saying, can I put in a plug for my session tomorrow? So we, we've been talking about billing. My session tomorrow isn't about billing, but it is about managing expectations. So anybody can get up at 9 o'clock tomorrow morning. <laughs> <laughs> I talked about just managing expectations, communication, that kind of thing. So it'll follow up on not related to billing. I think it's still stuff that you're doing. And that's a workshop, workshop right? So it'll be an open discussion? Yeah, so I think yeah. it's in this room. Oh, okay. Simple question. Um, I answer four. <laughs> so I bill, I bill hourly, raise my rates. I have the hardest time raising my rates on my existing guys. The new ones, it's really easy, but communicating the, to the old ones, especially with ongoing projects, and you know, I, right. how do you do it? I know that I was very, very uh, conflicted the first time I ever raised my rates. They were $35 an hour at the time. This was in 1996. And, uh, but I was just working too much. And I just thought, I need to get rid of some of my clients because I just can't work. <coughs> and so I raised my rates. <coughs> Like nothing happened. I didn't lose any clients. I had one guy tell me, "I'm sorry, yes, this is too much. I can't use you anymore." Thanks. He <laughs> <laughs> sent me like a boatload of new work the next day. Yeah, your rates, it's a hard thing to do, but your rates are your one lever that you have with clients if you do hourly type stuff. I think one of the best things you ever do is fire a client. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. And one of the ways to fire a client is by raising the rate to the chart to. $25 an hour higher when you charge new customers. And sending them to you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Another thing I'm just changing your rates is I think sometimes it's clients, you know, you worry about it, it needs to be done, but you can you can implement that diplomatically. So a couple things um, that I would do is say, hey, you know what, give them lead time. I'm going to be raising my rates yep. January 1st. Um, if you'd like to prepay for X number of hours, you can pay for it now. Sometimes that helps with cash flow. So. I like being able to give clients options. So it's not just, hey, January 1st, my rate's going up. Take it or leave it, unless you want to get rid of them. But giving them kind of a path is help. Dan? Uh, so about three years ago, I started adding a support fee in. A minimum, minimum monthly support fee uh, for every client, depending on the scope of the size of the project and the value of the project. So, um, like the right to call you kind of a thing? Yeah, just to call, just answer, pick up the phone, frankly. Um, and and uh, that made a huge difference in, in how they valued me, frankly. Um, and so, you know, it might be 150 bucks a month, it might be 2,000 a month, but um, it also gave me recurring revenue, which was, uh, which was really helpful. It's a good idea, I mean, vertical market customers, that's how you stay in business, Right. is by maintenance and by upgrades. Um, I have clients actually uh, who they really try to call me all the time for free support, and you know my my usual policy has always been if I can answer a question in five or ten minutes, I don't even it's not worth my time to track it and bill it um, and send an invoice out for it because if I add up that time, it's actually much longer than the five minutes to answer the question. It's just kind of stupid. But if they ask me something that's actually going to take time to go in, is it, do other people have a policy like that? Do you guys? If I can bribe for a five minute thing, do you even bother? I know. Jonathan, you don't have that problem anymore. <laughs> so we're at the end of time. I'll take one more question and then we're done. Maybe in the back corner over there. I don't know if I missed it, but I was curious, Jonathan, about your you know, fixed bid pricing. Are you setting a, a full like hard requirements? Like we will not build any more features beyond this? No. Uh, How are you um, handling that? 
I set the scope at a really high level so that there's a there's an easy to define goal, and then we decide in advance how we're going to measure whether it's succeeded or failed. And it has nothing to do with interface or anything like that. It's it's I make them think through the reason why they call me. I make them get back to the 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 crux of the problem, the business solution they're solving, and sometimes even back to their personal life, which is the reason that they need to make more money with the business kind of thing. And uh, once that's achieved, they'll, they, it, my projects don't end, they just stop calling me. So, you know, here's the quote, they accept it, they send me the money, we start working and eventually they stop calling me. Because they're happy, they don't need me anymore. So it's, it's uh, I know how crazy that probably sounds, but if you're charging the right amount of money, it works great. It's like so awesome. So thanks everyone for coming. That was a great panel discussion, one of the highlights of DevCon 2009, a good sample of just how much fun DevCon can be. Thank you, Matt and Matt and all of the people on the conference session. Um, I really enjoyed it, and as my buddy Lee would say, there you go.